He is risen. Let me teach you a old school church thing. If you grew up in church, you would know in the 80s, you'd walk into any church on Easter Sunday, and you say, he is risen, and you would get a, he is risen indeed with power. So let's try it one more time. He is risen. Yes, he is, and that's why you and I have hope. Recently, I learned that there was a very famous philanthropist who visited a community of starving people. And out of his own power, out of his own resources, fed these starving people. This philanthropist moved on and visited a community of sick and dying and took the time to comfort them, to hang out with them, to be with them. It changed many of their lives. Made some friends along the way, but the, the thing about it was is what I learned that some of the people that this person had helped turned on them. So much so that there was hate that was unexplainable. What if I were to tell you today that think of the most generous, charity-giving, blessing type of selfless person in our society today. Some of you might be thinking of a certain person. I imagine if we go around the room, all of you might be thinking of different people. And what if I were to tell you that somehow, some way, terrorists got to them or a murderer got to them and killed them when they were in the middle of doing good? That's exactly what happened to Jesus. For three years, he traveled. For three years, he prayed. For three years, he healed. For three years, he set people that were possessed by demons free. For three years, he fed thousands. For three years, he loved people, served people. People that no one else loved. People that no one else would talk to. People that society had thrown out. He took the time to love them. And yet, they killed him. You see, if we were reading today of the American Red Cross in a war-torn country, doing good work, and all of a sudden, the enemy in that country, the, the nation that we were fighting against, for the sake of not offending anyone, I'll use a, an imaginary country, the American Red Cross goes to Wakanda <laughs> after the Avengers battle. Many people were hurt, right? Many buildings were torn down, and all of a sudden, the enemy of Wakanda in this story kills the Avengers who just came to help. Kills the Red Cross as Mother Teresa is leaning down to love on the little broken sick kid that she's murdered in the middle of doing good. Friend, that's exactly what happened to Jesus. You see, there's such hate and animosity today against the church. Why? Why? If you really peel back all of the lies that the world has been telling our society, all of the things in your life that cause you pain 
are probably in this book telling you not to do. Avoid. Walk away from the bitterness and the unforgiveness in your heart that you have towards someone. Jesus said forgive and then forgive again and then forgive again. The relationships that have busted you up year over year, time after time, that all it does is cause you pain. Jesus has made it very clear, the word of God's made it very clear that there is a relationship that is unequally yoked. In other words, when you stand with Jesus and someone else does, it's about you and God and that other person. And there brings peace. Today we have the opportunity to talk about Jesus because he's alive. We don't talk about someone who died a long time ago and is still dead today. That's not our Savior. I have shared many emotional, life-changing, inspirational stories of people that have lived wonderful lives and died. And many people would come and say, wow, that was a great story. I aspire to be like that person. But guys, we talk about Jesus differently because he's alive. The inspiring stories we read today come from a man who was fully God and fully man and is alive. I'd like to give you a compact presentation of the ministry and the death of Jesus. Here's how it went. Jesus was born of a virgin, grew a relatively normal life, was educated as a Jewish boy would have been back then, memorized the scriptures, served his family, learned his father's trade, had brothers and sisters of his own, and then at age 30, he responded to the call to the ministry that he knew he was destined to follow through. You see, Jesus was unique. Jesus is unique. Even in those childhood years and on into adulthood, he never sinned. He was perfect, but he was tempted. The Bible tells us about his temptations. Jesus was tempted but never sinned because he had to die at a cross for my sin and yours. He started his ministry in a wilderness, being tempted by the devil himself. Many of us can learn a lesson from that wilderness experience from Jesus because many times we look at ourselves and we have these seasons and these pockets of our life where it feels like we're in the wilderness and the only person with us is the devil himself, beating us up with depression and bitterness and envy and jealousy and anger and frustration. You see, Jesus was alone in the wilderness, facing even worse than you've ever faced before. Why? So you know that he can relate. So you know that he resisted temptation and the devil fled from him. Jesus came out of the wilderness and immediately began to minister to people. What does that mean? That means he would walk into town and he would lay hands on somebody or he would pray for somebody and they would be healed. Somebody paralyzed would get up. 
Somebody with a withered hand, would, he would touch it and it would be restored. Someone with leprosy would be touched, which was the disease worse than coronavirus back then. He would heal them. He would restore people to their families. He would change people's lives. Every town he would go to, he would change the entire dynamic of the village. Thousands and thousands of people grew to follow him. Everywhere he went, there was a following nearby. And in just three short years, he literally changed the world in his ministry. And in just three short years, he found himself at the peak, the apex of his assignment, which was the cross. The cross was a torture device used by the Roman, the Roman government at the time to kill murderers, thieves, insurrectionists, and, and the like. It was the worst, play, worst way to die. As a matter of fact, it wasn't long after Jesus was killed by the cross that it was outlawed because it was too heinous of a way to die. Nevertheless, he was killed, hung on a cross. Some of us get offended at things. Some of us get offended at things we see on TV or we hear. And we, <gasps> and then we carry that offense everywhere we go. I can't believe so-and-so. I can't believe that president or this president. Just pick one. There's offense, plenty of offense to go around, amen? And we get offended. Can you imagine taking your family to Jerusalem, which is where Jesus was, Can, taking your family, and all of a sudden you look to the left, and here is a man who is naked and bleeding, hanging on a cross. Cover your eyes. I'm offended. I'm offended too. They killed my Jesus. He didn't do anything wrong. But he died for me. The Bible tells us that it was dark in the middle of the day when he died. Why? Because creation responded to the death and suffering of the creator. Let me tell you something. We believe that God is the creator of it all. This is a wonderful building and I'm thankful for it. But let me tell you, believing in the creation that we live in without the creator is kind of like believing that there's a Lowe's truck driving by on 51 that gets into an accident and all the building materials land just like this. That's the Big Bang. Who started the Big Bang? I was listening to a scientific talk this past week, and they, they are convinced now that the Big Bang came from a little teeny tiny, all the matter in the universe, the size of a pin point, a, a dot on a piece of paper. That's a pretty stressful pinpoint with all the matter. Friend, I just want you to know that there is something more than this. There is meaning to your life. Why? Because there is a creator of it all. That's why Jesus had to die. Because God created your life with a purpose. And sin came in in the lives of the first human beings, Adam and Eve, tried to steal it all away. Your only hope 
is in Jesus today. He died upon a cross, and three days later, he rose from the dead, which brings us to our message here today. He lives. He lives. And because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And because he lives, my sins are gone. It's like this, to give some type of comparison. There are many religions in the world today, it seems like there's more, almost as many religions as there are types of coffee at Starbucks. Which every time I go there and my daughters give me an order, it makes me mad. True story. I spilt Abigail's coffee the other day. She sent me to get a replacement coffee. With the order in text, I spilt it, so I was going to buy it. I was going to replace it. I did not know I'd have to move money from savings for this process. <laughs> that thing was $9 plus. There's a shot of this and a skinny of that. I said, oh, my goodness. I don't know what I was talking about. <laughs> he lives. He lives. Here, there's, here's a little truth right here, but because I spilt the coffee, I had to buy the coffee, but basically what Jesus did is you spilt the coffee and he bought the new one. World religions, they know where the leaders of world religions are buried today. Muhammad, a leader of Islam, was poisoned by someone and died. He's still dead. Confucius died of natural causes at the age of 84, and he's still dead. The Buddha, who arrived to the most enlightened place according to that religion, died because he ate a bad mushroom. Seriously? And guess what? He's still dead. Karl Marx, the creator of the Communist Manifesto. Karl Marx, because communism is a religion, a religion that's anti-God. You know that, right? Because as soon as there's a God, then there's a moral truth. There's an absolute Karl Marx died of disease, and only six people came to his funeral. And he's still dead today. No other religion in the world claims that their founder, that their leader is alive. Why? Because there was no proof, and there is no proof. Today, you and I are talking about Jesus who said when he was here upon the earth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friend, there is only one way to heaven, and his name is Jesus. I'm not here to beat you over the head with the gospel. I'm here to invite you to receive it with gladness. At the end of the day, I care. I care what your eternity looks like. I care enough to say things that might ruffle your feathers a little bit. The Apostle Paul, which I think I could have been his friend, he was pretty crass at times and straightforward. 
even sarcastic in some of his writings. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 7, we read about his ideas as he's talking to the Corinthian church. How many of you guys understand that it only takes one little lie to make people go crazy? So in the Corinthian church, it was a church that was serving the Lord, and somebody got a hold of the pulpit and taught that there was no eternal life. And Paul had to write a letter and said something like this, you idiots. (laughs) Let me read what it really says. Let me remind you now, dear brothers and sisters. Now, if I'm Paul and writing this, I may say it like this. Let me remind you now, dear brothers and sisters. Right? He's frustrated. But let me remind you of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then and you, you will still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by, tw- by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. You see, Paul is reminding them that there were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Like I told you before, there's no world religion that claims anything like this. Why? Because there were no witnesses, because there was no resurrection. But with Jesus, it's different. Not only that, these apostles and these followers of Jesus, many who were killed for their faith. If you really don't believe something, do you think you will die for that? (laughs) Can I give you a modern illustration? Would you die? Would you give your life for the truth that the vaccine works? If you really knew it would save millions of people, would you give your life for that? All of us are going, that's stupid. Right? But at the end of the day, it's a silly illustration. But these apostles, these disciples, these followers of Jesus, they knew that they knew that they knew that Jesus was the only way that millions and millions of people would find eternal life. And they died for that fact. How do you know it's real? People died because they knew that it was real. Paul continues on in verse 17. And if Christ had not been raised, then your faith is useless. And you're still guilty of your sin. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. 
If Christ had not been raised, Paul says, what are we even doing here? Verse 20, but in fact. Say, but in fact. (laughs) Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen. This is the truth we stand on in this church. This is the truth that drives us forward to love people, pray for people, preach the message of the gospel. This is the truth that I hope you grab a hold of. Man, this is the truth I want you to grab and place into your heart, into your life, and live the rest of your life after today serving Jesus Christ. Today, at the end of our service, you'll have an opportunity to pray. I'm praying now that the Holy Spirit begins to stir your heart. And even as I'm saying that, some of you in here today are feeling something. There's butterflies are growing. Guess what? God's going to do something amazing in your life today. John chapter 20, we read the story of the resurrection. Allow me to pray over the rest of our time together. So, Lord, this is yours. This is your story. This is your word. Help me to complete the assignment you've given me today to share this truth. Help all of our hearts to be open and learning and leaning in. God, may you remove any roadblock or any offense or anything, God, that keeps us from hearing this gospel. May everyone in the room today be open to receiving this message of hope. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 20. I'm going to look at three people today that were in this resurrection story and how they reacted differently. How many of you guys understand that you're different than the person beside you? How many of you guys are thankful for that? God made you uniquely and wonderfully made, the scripture says. And did you know that Jesus is great enough, awesome enough, amazing enough to connect with you in the way that will most connect with you? Today we're going to look at three different people and how the resurrection impacted their life. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb, and they were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there. But he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. A few things that you understand what's going on here. Back in those days, the cemeteries and the graveyards didn't look like they look today. 
People of stature and of wealth were buried in tombs, caves. Jesus was buried in a man's tomb named Joseph of Arimathea that was donated to him. Use this tomb, he said. And then they took a stone that no one man could move. As a matter of fact, it took several soldiers to move the stone in front of this tomb. And then they would wrap them, kind of like a mummy. They would wrap them in linen clothes and place them in there in the tomb. A lot of times there'd be a stone table of sorts that would be in there. So that's what we're walking into today. The stone was gone, which was quite suspicious. Who moved it? The body was gone, which was very suspicious. Where did Jesus go? Well, we know that he rose from the dead. Peter and John saw this and began to understand what was happening, and they went home. Now, later, we're going to learn that Peter and John have an encounter with Jesus. But in this moment, they missed it. Mary Magdalene stayed behind. Why? Because she was very upset. I don't know how it went. I don't know what it looked like. But sometimes we miss what God has for us because we're too quick to leave. She had the privilege and the honor to see Jesus first. Number one on your note sheet, he lives for the broken. If I were to ask you the question, how many would describe yourselves today as broken? Some of you may raise your hand in response to that. If I were to ask you this question, how many of you guys would describe yourselves as broken at some point in your life? I imagine almost all of us would raise our hands. We've all experienced brokenness in one way or another. Mary Magdalene was broken. The Bible tells us that she was a follower of Jesus for a long time as he was here upon the earth. And in verse 11, we see what happened next. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. The angels showed up right after Peter and John left. Now, I know it's been a while since a lot of you guys have been in the movies. But how many of you guys are those people that stay after credits to see the extra scene? And how many of you guys are like me thinking, what in the world is everybody still sitting here for? I'm just going to watch it on YouTube later on. I got to go. Can I tell you something? This was the extra scene. Peter and John were gone. But Mary stayed. And because she stayed, the Bible tells us that she saw two white-robed angels in the tomb. She was there crying, verse 13, Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord. She replied, and I don't know where they have put him. It's Peter and John, the scriptures tell us, Peter and John believed that Jesus rose from the dead. Mary thought he was still dead. The body was just missing. So she was grieving that. Verse 14, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. <laughs> it was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. 
Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, what are you, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him. I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go, find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Guys, when did Mary recognize Jesus? When he said her name. <laughs> you got to get that into your spirit. My Bible tells me that God knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows you. He loves you. He loves you so much he sent Jesus to die for you. And he's calling your name. The question is, will you recognize him? Or will you still pawn him off as just some historical figure? Some guy who is a part of some religion. He wants to call you by name and change your life from the inside out. Mary, he said. And that's when she recognized him. He lives for the broken. Who are the broken? Well, we look at Peter. She, they are those that wait. Mary stuck around after Peter and John went home and experienced. I can't, I mean, my mind is having a hard time grappling with this. How did she get so lucky to be the first person to see Jesus? A woman, the first person to see Jesus, and then a woman became the first evangelist to go and tell somebody. Ladies, I mean, if I was a woman up here saying this, you could die, oh yeah, come on. The Bible says that there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. Jesus has equalized all of it. We are unique, created in the wonderful image of God, male and female. We are created in his image together. And guys, you need to understand that the racial garbage going on and the, and the, the sexism and all this other stuff is just not of God. But someone will tell you, oh, the church is bigoted and they believe blah, blah. Who are you listening to? You ain't listening to my preachers. You ain't listening to this word. You're listening to a translation by some other outlet. Because my Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene. And then said, go tell those guys that already left. Would you please help me out? Those that weep. Secondly, he lives for the broken, those that wait, and those that weep. Mary was grappling with her deliverance in Luke chapter 8, verse 2. Mary is described as the woman who was set free from seven demons. She was possessed by demons, and Jesus freed her. I've often thought that in this moment, she was wondering if Jesus was dead, were the demons going to come back? 
If it was the power of Jesus that set her free and Jesus is now dead, does that mean that I have to be waiting for the demons to come back and take my life again? You see, but they didn't and they won't because Jesus is alive. He lives. Those who witness, he lives for the broken. Those that wait, those that weep, those that witness. Mary had this privilege, this assignment of sharing the good news of the resurrection. Ladies, I want to brag on you one more time. Are you with me? I got one. When Jesus was taken under, under arrest to be killed and crucified, the Bible tells us that his disciples ran away. There's only one disciple that stuck around. His name is John. But you know who didn't run away? The ladies. Oh, I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> what, if, what if he needs me? There's something to be said about how God created women unique and men also unique. There is a difference. And for one, I'm thankful because Kelly makes me better. Amen? You can ask her later if I make her better. I don't know. I don't want to put her on the spot. <laughs> Maybe I make her busier or I don't know. He comes and he lives for the broken. Are you broken today? Are you weeping today because you feel like that brokenness is going to come back? What am I going to do? What am I going to do if I'm rejected again? What am I going to do if this relationship falls apart? What am I going to do if I have that bill and I can't pay? What am I going to do when my stimulus runs out? He comes for the broken. He lives for the broken. Because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Secondly, verse 19. He lives for the troubled Number two, he lives for the troubled. Verse 19 says, That Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. They were filled with joy. When they saw the Lord, and again he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I get excited about that part. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Guys, catch this. He lives for the troubled. He appeared to the disciples. First of all, he, he appeared. He, he lives for those that fear. Some of you may be even thinking right now that if I give my heart to Christ today, what will my family think? What will my friends think? What will my peers think? What will my work people think? If I, if I say I went to church and I gave my heart to Christ and now I'm a Christian, people are going to ridicule me and hate me and talk bad about me. I'm risking so much. Guys, you cannot compare what you're risking to what Jesus gave. I'm asking you to risk it all for the sake of eternity. 
Those that feared the disciples were cowering in a room. Why? Because they were scared. They were fearful. We admire courage. We admire bravery. We look at people that go out there to save people's lives on the battlefield, and we celebrate it. We know when they come home safe to their families, and we watch the TV and the YouTube videos of them coming home to their families, and we cry. Oh, how we cry at those veterans that surprise their families. Are you with me? Why? Because we know they gave great sacrifices and yet still came out on the other end. Jesus gave it all. He gave it all for those that fear. He gave it all for those that hide. He lives for the trouble. When the world was out there living, the followers of Jesus were hunkered down behind closed doors. In a moment, Jesus was killed at the cross. And his followers disappeared with him. Can you imagine? Church, what has happened to us? We're hiding sometimes when we're supposed to be out there boldly loving people the way that Jesus loved people. We're supposed to be out there doing the good work of the gospel and not growing weary while we do it. So many of us have taken Christianity and we funneled it down to this experience from 1030 to noon on Sunday. And so many of us have funneled it down even further to if I can get there once a month, I'll be all right. What has happened to us? Jesus is supposed to be our whole life. The disciples were locked away because they were scared. They were hiding. I'm telling you, church, I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of being fearful. But he also lives for the troubled, for those that are empty. For those that are empty. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it was the breath of God that gives life all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That's how Adam and Eve came to life, by the breath of God. And now the breath of God gave them the Holy Spirit to forgive. Why to forgive? I had to think about this and pray about this. And it messed with me a little bit. Picture, for, if you could, for just a moment, the disciples that ran away when Jesus was arrested hunkered down in this room, and now Jesus appears. And he gives them the power to forgive. Why? Because if you rewind back, there's a Bible story that we tell on Palm Sunday called the triumphant entry when Jesus comes in and people are celebrating and then it's just hours later that those people that are celebrating are now saying, crucify him. And then it's just a few days later that Jesus comes to life and he appears to his disciples. He says, I'm giving you power to forgive. Why? Because now they're going to have to go back to those people, those two-faced, evil people that were yelling, crucify him. Hello? And now tell them Jesus is alive and he still loves you. Have you ever made a mistake that you just can't undo? Has it ever haunted you? 
So they needed power to be able to forgive those that hurt Jesus. Not only the people that had yelled crucify him, but the Roman soldiers that literally drove the nails into his hands. These disciples were now called to preach the gospel of eternal life, of forgiveness, of salvation to the people that killed their Savior, that killed their leader, that killed Jesus. They needed power to forgive. And they were empty. They were spent. So Jesus filled them with that power. Number three, he lives for the non-believer. Verse 24, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound on his side. But he replied, I won't believe it. Eight days later, verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. Thanks for showing up this time, Thomas. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. <laughs> That's exactly what Thomas said he needed, right? And look at my hands. Put your hand in the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Friend, he lives for the non-believer so that someday you may believe. He lives for the non-believer, those that need a second chance. Thomas missed the first meeting. So everybody was there hiding, and Thomas was absent. Where in the world was Thomas? Have you ever wondered, do you, do you know any people like Thomas? Everybody's where they're supposed to be except Fill in the blank here. Okay, we're all here, guys. We're hunkered down. We're being safe. Where's Thomas? Oh, my. Where is Thomas? He's gone, just like Thomas. He missed his chance. But Jesus lives for those that need a second chance. Thomas missed the first meeting. We don't know why, but I'm thankful today that God calls me again. And again, standing up here today, my assignment is to preach this message. But can I tell you something? I've let my kids down before. I've let my wife down before. I've let my family down before. You want to find, you want some dirt? Talk to my mom. <laughs> I have made many mistakes. And yet, there's one time in this preacher's life that I didn't think I'd ever stand in a place like this and ever preach a message again. An old preacher that was encouraging me named Lewis Gunn. He said, Andrew, the call of God 
is never revoked. And he told me about Jonah, who disobeyed God, got all kinds of trouble, and yet was still used by God to do great things. I'm not telling you that you need to come up here in order to be used by God. I'm telling you that God is a God of second chances. Thomas missed that first meeting. But Jesus took the very words that Thomas said, I need to see his hands, I need to see his side. And Jesus goes, "Woo! look at my hands, look at my side. You may be sitting there in the quiet of your own home or laying in your bed and saying, God, I don't believe you. I don't believe you because of this and I don't believe you because of that. And then something happens and then you ignore it anyway. And God is trying to convince and reach out to you and give you second chances. Think of the people that are being sent into your life. Psalm 103.8 reminds us that we serve a God that's full of compassion and mercy and slow to anger and filled with love. Secondly, he lives for the non-believer, for those that need a little more. 2 Peter 3.9 reminds us that God is patient with us. He wants everyone to repent. The Bible tells us he is slow to anger. But the time will come, friend, that time will run out. The Bible tells us that it is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. In this lifetime, you've got to choose Jesus. I don't want to break your heart, but there is no earning salvation after this life. Purgatory is not a thing in Scripture. It's a man-made idea. You choose Jesus now or miss it for eternity. I think of all the world religions and how they kind of compare and how they stack up. These different world religions will tell you that there is no eternal life or you just become a part of the universe. That sounds horrible to me. I'm scared of heights. If I'm the universe, I just picture me being way up there and something way down there and I'm, I'm terrified already. But Jesus died so you and I could be with God our Father in heaven for all of eternity. Not so we can become some kind of protoplasmon on some kind of planet on the backside of the universe. Can I tell you, a higher plane is figuring out that you don't have it figured out. That there is a God. And the way to him is Jesus. Finally, he lives for the non-believer, those that need a personal experience. Guys, he loves you enough to visit you, to call you, to reach out to you, to come all of against your, stu your stubbornness and your hard-heartedness. It has been my prayer since going into this message as I was standing there during worship. It was my prayer that God would break down any barriers that you may have walked in here with today. I'm telling you, break them down. Allow the Lord Jesus a window. Many evangelists will say, try Jesus. You need to do way more than that. You need to give him all of your life. You've been giving your life to all kinds of things maybe and, and, and you've been falling flat on your face. I'll put it to you this way. What if these 72 odd years here upon the earth is all you get? 
You work, you get the nice car, you get the nice house, you get the kiddos, you get the family, you get all of these things. You have the dog or the cat, I don't know who you are, but whatever you got, you get it. And then that's it? No. I don't care how much money you get. You know some of the most miserable people in the world are some of the ones that have the most money? They get to a point where they have so much they want to give it away as fast as they got it. Why? So somebody will remember their name. <laughs> my Bible says in the book of Revelation that my name, as soon as I give my heart to Christ, it's written down in this book called the book of life. <laughs> it's etched in the book of life. And now when I get to glory and they say, I got you right here. Some of y'all are trying to make lists of some nightclub somewhere to go and wreck your life. I'm telling you, get your name in the book of life and get it in there now. The worship team is coming back out. We're going to give you an opportunity to pray. John chapter 20. Verse 31, 30 and 31, it says, The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Messiah has been this sermon series Messiah means Christ's anointed one. Messiah is the one who comes to save us. To seek us out first, then to save us. It is no mistake that you are here today. The Son of God, that we can find salvation in Him, and that believing in that name, you will have life by the power of His name. The altars are going to open up. Go ahead and start playing, guys. The altars are going to open up, but it's going to be for a variety of reasons. And the reason I'm doing that is because maybe you're like me. You've got a loved one who doesn't know Jesus. You need somebody to pray with you about that. Maybe you're like me. You're, a year ago, I was in the hospital. COVID-19, stupid thing. Hated every minute of it. I don't recommend it. God saved me for something. So I'm going to work as hard as I can. Every moment of every day. To try to be worthy. But you know what the scripture says? No matter how much I work and no matter how much I do, I'll never be worthy. Jesus is the only one who is worthy. And he covers me. So maybe you want to pray for a lost loved one. Maybe you have a sickness in your body. I believe we serve a God who heals today like Jesus did. Maybe you want to recommit your life to the Lord. Say, man, I, I've been making some really stupid decisions. I've been really walking away from the Lord. This is the first time I've been in church and I don't know how long. And I need to make my life right. If that's you, we want to pray with you. I don't know what it is but there's power in prayer 
There's power in agreeing with someone. So the opportunity for you today is to find someone else that cares enough to share that burden with you. I'm going to ask my prayer team to go ahead and get in place. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'd like to ask you this question. It's a very generic question. Here it goes. Pastor Andrew, I got issues. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We don't need to know who's got issues in here. Pastor Andrew, I got issues. Wave your hand if you got issues. All right, I should see every, uh, everybody look up. All right, and raise your hand if you got issues. Okay, everybody got something. Amen? Let me tell you something. Jesus died for your issues so you could be free, so you could have peace, so you could have eternal life. I don't want to make it over simple, but it's pretty simple. Jesus just says, come unto me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Lord, today, do a work. Change a life. Bring humility into our hearts right now as we give you opportunity to save us, set us free, work a miracle. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come and pray. The rest of us, would you rise and let's go back into worship. Come on.
talks about the gospel being like a seed planted in the ground. What you do with that seed will determine whether it sticks, whether it grows in your life, or you walk out of here and forget all about it. Salvation is a decision that is made in a moment, but it's a lifestyle that changes forever. We cannot say, Jesus, I want you to save my eternity, but I want to live my life like I want to live my life. 
Jesus wants all of you. All of you. And I guarantee you this. That when you submit to the Lord Jesus. There is peace. There is joy. But more than any of that, there's eternal life. And I can't stress enough, we don't even get that. We can't, we can't understand that. There'll be days that are hard, but the difference with serving Jesus on the days that are hard is that he's right there with us. We are never alone in a wilderness. We are with Jesus. It's hard to explain. But it's kind of like a comfort from the inside out. He's able to put his spirit within you. So Lord, for any that are here today, may the seed of the gospel, may it germinate, may it grow. May our lives be challenged and changed. May this be the beginning of an eternity in relationship with you. For those of us that are serving you already, God, may we be reminded that there are so many lost, so many hurting that we're called to. Help us, God. Help us, God, to reach them because we love them, because you love them. Lord Jesus, thank you for not staying dead. (laughs) Thank you. That as Paul says, without the resurrection, we're to be pitied. Thank you, God, that we're not pitied. (laughs) But Lord, we are confident because you live. We can find comfort in you. We can find forgiveness in you. Those that we love and care for, God, I pray you'd stir their hearts. May they come to faith, come to believe. Help us, Lord, to live this day reminded that this life is just temporary. Life with you is eternity. Stir our hearts within us. Thank you for every victory that you've given us and every victory that's coming. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.